This is your host, Brian Hurst. Thank you for tuning in. I want to begin this episode the way I'd like to begin them all, with a quick prayer. So please bow your head with me. Lord God in heaven, thank you for being you. Thank you for this creation. Thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross. Please forgive us our sins, Lord. Please help us to do no wrong in the future. And please help us to do anything we can to make up for the wrongs we've committed in the past. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for loving us and showing us the true way that love is the answer to all of the world's problems. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you out there for tuning in. I want to ask that you subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and please share us with others. Help us spread the word. In this first season, uh, I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much, but I want to really just get the point across of why I wanted to create this podcast and what I want to talk about. I've spent nearly a decade and a half behind bars, and throughout this time uh, studying criminal justice, studying philosophy, studying history, world literature, um, I've learned a lot about how our criminal justice system came to be the way it is today. I've also come to realize or believe, and it's a personal belief, that the best way that we, not just people like myself who've committed terrible crimes, but we as a society can help victims of crime going forward the only way we can drastically reduce future incidents of criminal victimization is to begin meaningful conversations about system-wide solutions-based criminal justice reforms so let me be clear <clears throat> unless you've got uh, hidden in your basement out there somewhere a time machine those of us who have committed terrible crimes or even minor crimes can't go back in time and undo the wrongs of our past we can't go back and unhurt and I know that's not really a word, but I think you get my point. We can't unhurt the people we've hurt. Or another way of putting it, we can't take away the victimization or the actual victims we cr actual victims we created when we committed our crimes, right? And if I'm wrong, if you do have a time machine out there, could I please, 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 please borrow it? <laughs> um, yeah, but back to seriousness, you know, time machines don't exist. So... Um, Since we have no way to go back in time and undo those crimes that have already happened, and while I want to recognize not just my victim and victims, uh, that I want to recognize all victims out there in the most respectful way possible, we can look back on those incidents of victimizations. We can learn from the mistakes of our collective past in an attempt to honor them going forward. We can apply the lessons we learn to our lives. We can promote or otherwise try to teach those lessons to those around us, right? And if we do that, I believe we can truly help prevent the creation of, in the future, we can help stop future victims being victimized. So it's a strange use of words, and you know, but I hope you get my point. If we've committed crimes, can become better people. If we learn from our mistakes, then we hurt fewer people going forward in the future. So, I mean, hopefully we don't hurt anyone in the future. And ultimately, fewer people hurt or harmed equals fewer victims. So, if you know of a better way to fight for victims, please reach out and let me know. I'm also here to tell you that we can't do it alone. Yeah, there are a few exceptions, a few unicorns, if you wish. And I'm speaking about men and women in, who are incarcerated. 
there are a few unicorns who have, despite prison being a terribly horrible place, um, there are a few of us unicorns who have totally given up our criminal ways, who have totally given up our criminal ways, and we've taken up our own cross of shame to make strides towards total transformation. Yes, we do exist. But if we, and when I say this we, I mean as in myself and you out there listening together, if you and I, as a collective membership of society, decide to come together to help the vast majority of those who victimize people, otherwise known as criminals, if you come together with us, if we want to, we have the power to drastically reduce future incidents of victimization. So, we're going to talk a lot about crime and punishment. We're going to talk about it from a perspective that takes an honest look back at um, our individual wrongs and our societal uh, successes and failures. We're going to talk about how we can do things differently in the future. You know, we can do things in such a way that we as a society can drastically reduce future crime, ergo reducing future crime victims. So how's that for honoring victims of the past? And if you think we already do that through our existing criminal justice system, then I hate to break the news to you, but you're sadly mistaken. I am sorry to break it to you, and please don't get mad at me for being the bearer of bad news. Because I'm not the one that lied to you. So, um, there's a thing in the country and in the world uh, in the field of criminal justice called a recidivism rate. And you'll hear me use that word a lot. Some of you already know what it means. But for those of you who don't, recidivism is a term that can be described to, can be used to describe the rate at which a person who's been in the criminal justice system comes back after their release. And statisticians can keep up with it in multiple ways. I mean, sometimes it's a new crime within three years or a new crime within five years, or sometimes it can include technical violations within a certain amount of time, three years or five years or longer. So when you hear me say recidivism, we're basically talking about a revolving door. It's people get out of prison or jail, and then they come back. And um, overall, the most common, commonly quoted recidivism rates in our country to me prove that not only the system but society as a whole has failed victims now I understand that may seem arrogant coming from a person who's committed a horrible crime you might say what do you mean society has failed you the person who committed the crime are the ones that have failed and I would say yes I own a share in the responsibility for the victims I created but what I'm saying is let's step back and look at the system. So the system's in place, the criminal justice system, start to finish, is in place to protect you, the citizens of the world. If people commit a crime and they come in here and are punished, however you want to look at punishment, and then they're released back into society, and within a very short amount of time they commit another crime and therefore create another victim, Yes, that person is to blame for that individual act. They're just like they're to blame for the act that got them incarcerated in the first place. But if the taxpayers have created this system, the voters have created the system, the politicians have created this system, and the system is set up and funded to protect society in the future, but in, say, 75% and even higher of the time, the system fails to do that, I would say the system itself is partly responsible. The system itself is a failure. But I'm here to also tell you that we can advocate for, and I am here to advocate for sweeping and drastic change. 
I'm going to offer you, the listener, another way to deal with those in our society who commit crimes, otherwise known as our fellow American citizens. And you'll notice I dance around the term, I don't like to use the term inmate, I don't like to, to use the term convict, I don't like to use the term offender. Prisoners, not a super bad term because, yeah, you take a person out of society and you put them behind a fence or in a uh, building and lock them in, they're imprisoned. And it's one of the few that, the one of the terms that I don't have a problem with as much as the others. But when you say offender, uh, I understand if you break it down, I committed an offense. But it, you, you, if you title an offender, a person, a human being with the term offender, then it seems like they're always offensive, and maybe that's taking it to an extreme. And then as far as choosing the word inmate versus convict, that's a whole other episode for a whole other day, but there's a big debate within the prison system over the difference between an inmate and a convict and there's all kinds of um, kind of like boys club rules attached to both that just don't do anybody any good so I try to just talk about us uh, as terms as human beings or uh, your fellow American citizens who just happen to be uh, incarcerated so one point I want to get to on this first episode I want to talk about the fact that hurt people hurt people and you'll hear me say it over and over again as you listen in but the simple fact is fact is that hurt people hurt people so i'm just going to throw this out there but i think i can safely say that healthy balanced well-adjusted people rarely harm others intentionally to be clear i'm not talking about car accidents or trip and fall incidents i'm talking about what we call criminal behavior so if hurt people hurt people and we as a society recognize that victims or acts of victimization don't happen in a vacuum, then maybe we should begin working towards healing those hurt people. And I say we as a society. With the ultimate goal of preventing the creation of future victims. So there's going to be those who say, well, what about the victims that were already out there in the world, like I mentioned earlier? Brian, what do you say to them? I say my heart goes out to anyone who has been the victim of a crime. Sincerely. I would never suppose that I could possibly speak for all the victims out there in the world. But you listeners out there, I'd like to ask you to think about what I said earlier. Just a minute ago, hurt people hurt people. So every day, as we go about our lives, we're surrounded by victims. The thing is, most people don't talk about, on a regular basis at least, how they've been victimized throughout their lives. Maybe you grew up with parents who raised on you verbally or even physically. Maybe your parents simply weren't there for you, like actually neglected you. Maybe your parents abused drugs or alcohol in front of you or were deep in their addiction and you saw them throw their own lives away. Maybe your parents were thieves or gang members and they taught you criminal behaviors from a young age. Maybe your parents went to prison. Maybe they had problems holding down a job and you learned the habit of working for enough paychecks to pay a few bills before quitting. Maybe your parents had no drive or motivation to really do anything with their life. Maybe your siblings or others abused you. Maybe your parents weren't there at all. Maybe they gave you up, or maybe you were taken from them by the state. Maybe your parents died when you were young. If any of those situations apply to you, you could have been raised, those last situations I mentioned, you could have been raised by people other than your natural parents. Maybe you bounced through foster homes or orphanages. Maybe you were put in a juvenile facility at a young age and you suffered countless abuses during those 
precious fleeting informative years all of these things that I've mentioned can affect how you or how people handle everyday life especially in our formative years when we're young when we're babies uh, other way up through young children even to our teenage years and we're now learning into our early adulthood our minds are flexible and they're growing and they're changing and those outward things can affect us both negatively and positively all of these things leave an imprint on your psyche even if you tuck those things away into a dark deep place inside of you and try to ignore it but on the other hand maybe you out there listening maybe you had a healthy upbringing but then maybe when you were young you got into drugs or alcohol and now you suffer with an addiction that seems to take control of your life maybe you've been in an abusive romantic relationship and throughout that turmoil you learn unhealthy ways of arguing with other people maybe that relationship devolved into a pattern of jealousy fighting stalking for example checking one another's phones who who hasn't known a couple who checks each other's phones or social accounts when they're had issues of jealousy or even cheating uh, maybe you fight with your significant other a lot or you've stalked them because you don't trust them um, maybe you've run around with kids who were into criminal things when you were younger maybe you didn't consider yourself a criminal but you knew those kids at school and maybe once or twice you went out and did things with them and maybe you learned at a young age that to fit in you went along with the crowd maybe you suffer from a mental health problem and really, you know, who wants to be labeled mentally ill while we're on that subject? But seriously, I recognize there are so many people out there who are suffering silently with issues that negatively affect their lives. You sit there in shame. You're afraid to vocalize your problems, fearing the societal label of being called mentally ill. My point is that hurt comes in many shapes and forms, and oftentimes we don't recognize how we're affected by the things that we've suffered through. Again, as I said, hurt people hurt people. So back to my point, for me, um, and your reasons may differ, but for me, I've been stuck behind bars, and hopefully your reasons are different, but I've been stuck behind bars for so long and completely surrounded by hurt people. So I'm not here to cry you a river or sing you a sad song about how pitiful people in prison are. For real, I'm not. That's not the point of this. But I do want to bring you the facts. And the fact is that once I got to know these people around me, I learned that they're very hurt people. I found a kinship in that no one that I've met inside here was exempt from at least one of the examples I just went through. So inside these razor wire top prison fences, there are people who have committed horrific crimes against others. Yes. But also inside the same fences are people who have been harmed badly by other human beings. Some who were prosecuted and some who never were. So now, when you get those two facts lined up in your mind and really look at the truth behind my claim, and you combine that with the fact that a vast majority of the men and women behind bars are going to eventually be released, I ask you a question. Who do you want moving in beside you? Do you want a person who committed horrible crimes and then spent years inside a government-funded facility suffering more and more abuses learning more and more criminal behavior? Or would you want that person to be healed while they're taken out of society for a period? Would you want that person to be provided the best possible resources to heal the hurt inside them so that when they do get released, they have the opportunity to grow and become healthy before they get out 
do you want them to become healthy, balanced, well-adjusted people? Now, you may jump the gun and say, I don't want them to live beside me at all. And look, I get it. Because you know what? I used to think the same exact way. But guess what? I got news for you. You're already surrounded by them. See, currently we've got well over 2 million of our citizens locked up behind bars. And just looking at the facts, remember I said we're going to bring you facts. But according to the sentencingproject.org, we've increased the number of citizens behind bars by 500% over the last 40 years. Now, if you take those numbers and realize that 98% of people who do time behind bars get out, let me tell you, plenty of so-called convicted felons are already all around you. So, I want to be able to have real conversations about crime and punishment. I'd love for you to reach out and tell me what you'd like to talk about. I'd love for you to reach out and tell me if you disagree with something that I've said or if you agree with something that I've said. I want feedback. I want this to be a two-way conversation, even though it's a podcast. I want to connect the dots to all of our society, societal problems and have the conversation about the reality that crime doesn't happen in a vacuum. All too often, we compartmentalize things when in reality, we're complex beings living in a complex world. We are all connected. From housing to our school systems, our medical service providers, our, our child care facilities, our city, county, state, and federal governments, our nonprofits, to our military, even our farming operations connected with our food providers. The fact is that we cannot compartmentalize solutions to our broken criminal justice system. It's way too connected to each and every aspect of our society. So, one question that came up as I began working on this podcast material, people would ask me, what made you, Brian, want to begin this conversation? You know, I've been locked up, like I said, about a decade and a half. And something changed, though, when I saw the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police on TV. I became very angry. I felt sick at my stomach. I felt a rage building inside me. I wished I could be there on that sidewalk and physically do something to stop his killers. Then I thought about why I sit here in this prison. And I'm sorry to say that I, too, killed a man. I took a human life. And let me tell you, I wish each and every day that I could somehow go back and undo that harm. I wish I could go back and right the wrong. And then I thought about how people out there might think about me, the killer. I've struggled over the years with compartmentalizing or balancing those two realities. When I look in the mirror, I see Brian. That made me wonder who others see when they look upon my face. The more I thought about it, the more I realized how complicated the problems we have in this country are. I mean, every day we see someone killed by another. We can't be a society full of murderous monsters. So I asked myself, what gives? Like I said, after I saw Mr. Floyd get killed, and as I watched the news coverage and the protest, I began to hear the slogan, defund the police. Having studied criminology on a collegiate level for nearly a decade, I knew what the protesters meant, but so many people didn't. Many people did not. 
and many people still do not understand the message. Too often people jump to conclusions, especially whenever they're frustrated. So I want, like I said, for you guys out there to join the conversation. To all the victims' advocacy and victims' rights groups out there, I beg you. I don't just invite you. I beg you to join this conversation. And I beg you to really think about the current criminal justice system. And what's it really doing for victims? Again, if we have a system with arguably a 70% or higher recidivism rate, that means that of the two plus million who are currently behind bars, 98% are going to get out. And when they get out, new victims are going to be created at least 70% of the time within three years of release, then our system isn't doing a very good job of advocating for victims. And before you say it, Handing out more time through more lengthy sentencing practices does not protect victims. In fact, as this season goes along, I'm going to make the argument that the financial drain that lengthy sentences have on the American taxpayer draw much-needed funding from other social services. Those services, if properly funded, could actually prevent crime before crime ever happens in the first place. Examples of those include our schools our mental health treatment facilities, and our drug and alcohol treatment facilities. So what's the answer? In short, we need to dig deep to find out how and why we got here. Why did we get the system that we have? How did we build it? Why do we look at criminals the way we as a society do? Why do we believe caging human beings can somehow magically improve their already broken behavior or damaged character? And for answers, we can look to others for solutions. And this is my favorite part. But why should we look to others for solutions, you may ask? I understand, as Americans, we often like to think that we know how to do everything better than other nations, right? I mean, that's the American dream. Americans have it figured out. It doesn't matter where your parents or grandparents or where you maybe even came from. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, Asian, Indian, Native American. We all buy into this American reality. We buy into this American dream that Americans have it figured out. But see, what's going to happen in this season, I'm going to point out how in the 1960s and the 1970s, when faced with a criminal justice crisis, both in the United States, both the United States and Europe, paths diverged. And I said that awkwardly, so let me say it again. There was a crisis of crime, well, I guess you could call it a crime wave, happening here and in Europe in the 60s. Our leaders got together and decided to go one direction to attempt to solve the problem. In Europe, and when I say Europe, I mean continental Europe, not Britain, not the United Kingdom. But in many countries in continental Europe, they got together, their leaders, and they took a different path. The U.S. turned to a lock-em-up-and-throw-away-the-key mentality, while Europe changed how they looked at those committing crimes. They changed how they treated human beings that were practicing criminal behavior and how they as a society could ensure that they had all the tools available to help those people to make sure they never again chose crime. Europe turned to a view of humanity in their fellow man and woman, while the U.S. began labeling more and more of their citizens as others, unfit less-thans who were not worthy of participating in society. 
So I'll make the argument that it began with a difference in how you looked at human beings. As a society, and on the subject of criminal justice, our nation failed its citizens miserably. Our lock them up and throw away the key legislative practices only work to create the current crisis that we have, also known as the prison industrial complex, a billion-dollar industry that profits off the American taxpayer while caging and mistreating its own citizens, a system that creates more victims than it could ever hope to prevent. Now, before you say it, I hear you. And again, I'm not saying individual criminals aren't individually responsible for the crimes they commit. Yes, people, individuals commit crimes. And absolutely, I'm ashamed to say I'm one of those. So you say we should be punished. And I say, okay, let's look into that. I can get behind that. Punish me. Punish those of us who hurt people in the past. But I would say, why not punish us with a purpose? You say, stop blaming others. Take the blame on your own shoulders. Stop deflecting. And to that point, I also hear you. I take the blame. I'm serving the time. I castigate myself daily. I try to help others to somehow make up for my past crimes. I try to learn and become a better man. But if that's all it took, then we wouldn't have such a high recidivism rate. If all it took was for one person to recognize their guilt, take the blame, do the time, then we wouldn't have prisons and jails full of well over two million of our fellow citizens. We cannot look to the individuals who commit the crime to solve the problem. We have to look at the problem for what it is. It's a systemic problem. And to that point, since it is a systemic problem, we must implement systemic solutions to have any hope of solving these problems. As we go along this season, you'll notice I'll use terms such as us and our, and I do that on purpose. As members of society, we are part of the collective whole. If we don't fight for change together, then we accept the status quo, and we remain a part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So I don't want this to be a boring history lesson, but when it comes to our criminal justice system, its roots, why we do things the way we do, how ineffective the system is, both at preventing future crime and preventing future victimization, and how costly the system is. There's just so much that the majority of civilians out there just don't know. So by definition, what we don't know is just plain old ignorance. So you know the old saying, ignorance is bliss? Well, I'm here to tell you that ignorance, when it comes to our criminal justice system, well, that kind of ignorance, that kind of bliss costs lives. By the way, I was once one of those taxpaying citizens out there who was ignorant of our system. I went about my daily life without a thought about how or why our criminal justice system exists or how it works. I had little clue about the history, the policies behind the practices, the cost, the effectiveness or lack thereof of the system. And then one day I killed a man. And I don't say those words lightly. I don't take that lightly, nor do I take any pride in my long past action. In fact, I rue the day that a younger, messed up version of myself. I, I hate that when the troubled, selfish, idiotic, young version of me took another precious human life. I regret my actions each and every day. But after that day, and by my own reckless behavior, I take the blame. But I was thrust into a system that I was totally ignorant of. And since that day, I've chosen to learn. I was forced to overcome my own ignorance because I came to live in the belly of the beast. Having gone to trial and having been sentenced to life in prison, 
which in Tennessee means that I will not have a chance at parole until I've served 51 years. That's 51 years before I go up for parole. Yes, you heard me right. But after somehow serving those 51 years, which, by the way, no one has ever served in this state, but if I could break that record and still be alive, then at a spry 81 years old, I can go before a parole board and beg for a second chance at freedom. But my point is not that. My point is that after receiving that walking death sentence, I could have simply joined a gang, started doing drugs, or began robbing people. I could have bought a contraband cell phone to stay connected with my loved ones, but I avoided all those behaviors. I spent my time in the library. I've read so many books that I lost count many years ago. I enrolled in college courses hosted by amazingly compassionate college professors who challenged us while volunteering their time to come inside and try to offer us hope. I signed up for volunteer groups. I took book clubs and ministry seminars. I did all I could to stay positive and learn about the beast in which I now live. And I tried to eliminate all remnant of ignorance of the system left inside me. I became a sort of expert in the system. I chose to work hard to become a better version of myself, to take daily steps towards becoming one who reflects upon mistakes, my mistakes and others, so that those mistakes stay in the past. And as I grew, I began to search for a way to honor my own victims. So to be clear, in this season, we're going to talk about our justice system and take the listener, you, back through the history up to this present point. How do we get here? How do we become a nation that we've been taught is built on the ideas of freedom? Yes, we, yet we incarcerate more of our fellow citizens than every other nation in the world. Yeah, we do that. So thank you again for joining.